and you're listening to Square One, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and executives at the cutting edge of business. And I'm your host, Ramin Shah. There's a fundamental problem in the workforce today. 43% of skilled women exit the workforce after having children. The economic loss we face from this input is dramatic. And we know anecdotally and scientifically that gender diversity, amongst other forms of diversity, materially improves the bottom line. Though that may be the case, we're not doing a great job to re-engage this workforce. This is why this week's guests, Allison Robinson, built the Mom Project. The Mom Project is a digital talent marketplace and community that connects professionally accomplished women with world-class companies. I think of the Mom Project as the best of a staffing company, best of a job board, wrapped in a differentiated community, all empowered by best-in-class technology. Allison's raised over $10 million from some of the best investors in the world, has Serena Williams as a key advisor, and is facilitating opportunity for over 250,000 moms on her platform today. Allison, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Romina. It's a pleasure. You know, Allison, this is a really special episode for me. You know, I'm, I'm deeply excited, of course, to have you on the show today to talk about a number of topics, the mom project, you know, your thoughts on the future of work and, and how you're really managing and leading through COVID-19. But it's especially special for me because of our friendship, right? And being able to broadcast, you know, so much of what we've chatted about offline. So before we dive into, you know, all the topics we're going to talk about today, tell us a little bit more about your background, the journey to founding the mom project and the state of the company today. Well, and for me too, Romy, thank you for that. I, uh, I've so enjoyed the friendship and have been learning so much from you. Um, yeah, so my journey to starting the Mom Project. Um, so I did not come from a startup. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. I, I started the early part of my career at P&G. Um, I'm originally from Cincinnati, so one of the biggest employers in town. Um, so I started there at 18, um, interning, um, working my way up. Uh, I spent about five, five of my eight-year tenure there in enterprise sales. Um, so moving across the country to call on some of our largest retail accounts, um, Target, Walmart, Costco. I have this kind of funny story from Costco where a SKU at Costco is worth a billion dollars. So you can never go off script. Um, <laughs> so I learned like very quickly how to sell to big companies where there's a lot at stake and how these big companies make buying decisions. So really grateful for what that taught me, but my heart was really on the consumer side of the business and connecting emotionally with, with consumers. Um, so about five years in, I had the opportunity to move back to Cincinnati, which is P&G's headquarters to lead our Pampers innovation team for North America. And that was just like a dream job for me. I was getting to spend most of my days at home with moms who were our core demographic. And I was struck by a lot of things about moms, largely how technology was impacting consumer behavior so dramatically, whether that be how she was purchasing our diapers, how she was consuming product recommendations or content um, to working. And I saw the massive implications uh, that this shift was having. I also was just like so inspired by these incredible women that I got to talk to and how like without a lot of recognition, they were just working so hard to provide a better future for themselves and their family primarily. And to me, moms were really these unsung heroes who worked so hard. Um, and, and it was just a, a consumer segment that I just fell in love with. Um, 
And I actually became pregnant with my son, Asher, who's now four, um, while I was in that role and um, actually incubated the mom project while on maternity leave with him. Um, I had read that over 40% of American women leave the workforce after having, after having children. And I saw firsthand how hard it is to integrate a full-time career with a family and saw what a big opportunity that would be if we didn't have to lose all those women. Perhaps if we could structure work in a way that was more compatible with motherhood, what that could unlock, um, both in an economic sense, but also just for the betterment of American working families. Um, so um, actually resigned while still on maternity leave to really go for the business full time. And, and we launched in April 2016 um, out of Chicago. And to date, you are, you've raised venture capital, right? How, give us an idea of kind of how big the company is, how much yeah. you've raised, kind of the state of the organization today. Yeah. So, I mean, I went to school in Ohio, not really tapped into ben- the venture community at all. So that wasn't even a path that sort of had crossed my mind ever. Um, bootstrapped the business for two years. Um, but it was really kind of starting to take off. We, at that point, had the big enterprise customers who were wanting to work with us, companies like Reynolds, uh, Miller Coors, P&G. And so we realized, like, wow, this was a big opportunity. We were going to need some more funding to really be able to fuel the growth. Um, so we launched our first round, or our first financing um, was our seed. That was about two and 2.6 million uh, early 2018. And then end of 2018, we raised our Series A. Um, so in terms of the scale of the business today, we've got over 250,000 moms on the platform looking for flexible work with companies that get it. Um, and then on the demand side, customers being the demand, we've got about 80 Fortune 1000s um, that we've got pretty sub- substantive partnerships with, and then hundreds and hundreds of SMBs. And put some numbers, you know, to the size of this labor force of moms, right? So intuitively, it's significant, but until yeah. you really dive in and kind of put specifics to it, you don't internalize both the sheer size of the labor force, as well as, you know, just the perspective value loss in our economy, right? To back to the point of what you were stating of just yeah. how many moms leave the workforce or don't re-enter. Yeah. It's like when moms say, or when people say moms are a niche, like I just laugh. Like I came from a business where like moms are the holy grail. Like they control over 3 trillion in household spend. Like I always bet on mom. Um, it's a massive segment of the workforce. So just to put that into perspective, 86% of women become moms by the age of 44 in the U.S. So it's a vast majority of women. Um, and so there's about 40 million US, in the U.S. Uh, educated moms of basically uh, prime income earning years. So it's, it's about 40 million. Um, at the experience level, it's a vast majority of female talent. So it's a really, really desirable and big segment of the workforce. And McKinsey estimates that kind of the size of prize of being able to unlock that potential of, of getting female labor participation growing again uh, is over $800 billion opportunity in the U.S. alone. And so you've got this, you know, on the demand side, you've kind of got a significant, you know, you've got a significant amount of Fortune 1000 customers today, right? And, and additional mm-hmm. SMBs and such. And then on the supply side, right, you've got, you've just got this very, very large, robust you know, mm-hmm. uh, element of supply, right? So when we, when you think about, talk a little bit more about how you think about building 
a marketplace business for labor because you know we've seen the push to online marketplaces for goods, right? Obviously, the Amazons, the Ebays, et cetera, of the world. But we're in the early innings for labor and, and for good reason, right? Services are complex. So talk, talk a little bit more about how you think about building a marketplace business specifically for, you know, for services and transacting labor. Yeah, I love marketplaces. I mean, the ability to bring an underutilized asset to the marketplace efficiently and match that with demand is just like, I love that. Um, the way that we think about building the business is really from the perspective of moms and like, how can that really work with companies? We knew that to make this business as big and as scalable as we wanted it to be, like ultimately it could not just work for our moms. It really had to work for demand. Um, and so what we found is there's really two segments or cohorts within the mom community that we've built, which are the moms that are looking for 30 plus hours um, and the moms that are looking for 20 hours or less and typically have like small children at home. Um, we found that aligns really well with companies' needs. At the enterprise, it's really that need to tap into this female professional audience that companies are typically churning um, as women are rising in the ranks of management director level. And so those women who are looking for that more full-time schedule, it aligns so well with the, what these enterprises need. On the SMB side, you've got companies that need access to incredible talent, but they often don't need that talent full-time or in an office. And that aligns so well to the mom who's looking for that 20-hour or less schedule. Um, and so it's just, it's really mapping kind of the supply to where the demand is. I think kind of underpinning it all is this need for flexibility that both companies have in the sense of financial flexibility, ability to be able to bring people on very nimbly, and for the moms, the flexibility that they crave to be able to be a, a present parent. Um, so we're excited to be the marketplace that really kind of brings all those elements front and center to make strong, um, enduring matches. And tar- so talk about some of those elements you've built in the, into the mom project ecosystem, right? Because if you, if you think about the vertical labor market space, yeah. We're, seeing, we're seeing emergence in different ways. We're seeing, you know, certain folks or, or certain companies are focusing on demographics, right? Like the mom project, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of folks are focusing on particular skills, right? And it's a different kind of way to cut a yeah. labor marketplace. And so how do you focus on building an ecosystem, you know, that has the power of solving for a specific demographic, but it's not, you know, diluted by other marketplaces, right? Which will naturally end up solving for a particular use case. In, in more depth or a particular skill in more depth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you've got to do one thing really well and you can solve that either from a demand perspective or supply. We obviously chose it from a supply. Um, and so every feature, every brand element um, is thoughtfully designed for moms. Um, and so that allows us to be really good at doing this one big segment of the labor cool. Um, you know, I think I'm happy. I, I would love to say that was like really strategic and how I thought about it. I don't think it was. Um, but I, in kind of hindsight, I'm happy that we chose to be more verticalized on the supply side rather than the demand side, because what we've seen is that the way that enterprises buy is typically, uh, horizontally, right? So if we're going to go through kind of the effort of bringing on a big enterprise logo, we want more of the jobs within the enterprise. Um, so that's the route that we've taken. Um, 
it seems to be working pretty well. I would say there's about 12 superpowers. We, we serve 12 superpowers, which is how moms, we talk in a very kind of consumer friendly language um, and that they can identify with though. I would say like our top six superpowers, which are marketing, finance, HR, operations, legal, tech represent probably 80% of transaction volume. And talk about how, you know, in that marketplace, it's, it's, it's always in, it's interesting. And I want to kind of double click into that thought process behind focusing on uh, on the supply side, right? Versus mm-hmm. focusing on the demand side. Yeah. I think one of the things we see just in marketplace businesses in general, and this is across labor, but also non, you know, non-labor businesses as well, is we're kind of seeing this evolution of, you know, folks thinking about marketplaces as like Uber for X, right? And we saw mm-hmm. a lot of those companies raise a ton of money and then ultimately fail um, because the value was really just, it was locked. The value of the transaction was locked in discovery, right? Yep. They either unsurf, they surfaced, you know, someone to do the service, but then there wasn't really much value beyond that. And now we're kind of seeing the shift for a lot of these businesses to manage marketplaces where there's actually additional effort, you know, to influence and manage the experience. So when you think about, you know, when you think about kind of cutting it, you can think about cutting it, at the demand level, or you can do it at the supply level. You guys are doing it at the supply level. And I agree. I think that thesis is more successful. So talk about some of the elements of the ecosystem you've built, you know, some of the elements like mom project labs, et cetera, because I think there's a really strong and deep power in the way you guys think about community. That's very unique to other marketplaces out there. Absolutely. I mean, it's gotta be the whole workflow, right? Like we don't want to just be in the discovery part of that workflow. Um, early on, I knew that we didn't want to be a job board. Like we wanted to be so much more than that. Um, so how that plays out looks quite a bit different depending on um, whether it's the customer audience or the moms. I'll start with the customers. Um, a really healthy portion of our business are small businesses, um, typically with 10 or less employees. And so these are not business owners that have the luxury of having a lot of back office support. Um, so just building in features in the product, whether that be payment and processing or hourly um, time tracking, um, background checks. Like we just want to take over that whole administrative burden um, for small businesses to hire contractors um, and make that a really seamless experience. Um, we, We now like have such a better idea of like what our users need from us. Like I would say for that segment in particular, like often they don't even have a job description. Like it's so different than an enterprise where this is like a very rote exercise. Like for a small business owner, they they know like um, conceptually they need a digital marketer, but they don't even know like what those requisite skills look like. So how do we kind of shape that job description for them and just remove any friction from the process between them being able to qualify what they need, find that amazing hire, and and then be able to successfully onboard and and manage that. Um, On the enterprise, I would say like, this is very much an emerging um, space, as you know, Romy, and we talk a lot about, it's like one of the, the big buckets of spend within an enterprise that frankly hasn't seen a ton of innovation. Um, and so we're excited to kind of bridge that gap with our customers because it's interesting, like our moms want to interact through a digital um, marketplace. We find an enterprise largely like that transaction is still offline. So kind of how do you bridge that gap? And 
and things like contractor onboarding, right? Um, that uh, we're working with a big Fortune 10 customer right now, and they're looking to offer kind of a really seamless benefits experience for their contract workers, um, which, I mean, this is just a huge step change in, in the way that, um, that, that onboarding looks like. So, um, so interesting things on the, on the enterprise side. And then I get most excited about what we're doing for moms. Like we know that the process of getting hired has, has really marginalized moms. And, um, I believe that the hiring landscape has really catered to this person looking for a 40 hour onsite job. And we know that that's neglecting millions and millions of really incredible people. And so how do we design an experience for them in mind? Um, so whether it be things like helping her build a beautiful resume where she can talk about that gap in her resume with confidence and pride to offering her childcare, um, so she can get to her interview with a peace of mind or, we know that she's coming off a great project at, at Google and like pointing her to her next project at Facebook, which we think will really broaden her skill sets. Like there's so much power in the data that we're collecting and being able to curate like a very personalized user journey for, for all of our users is um, just like something that we're so excited about and certainly not something that we could do if we were just involved in the talent discovery. Yeah, it's interesting because it's, and, and you mentioned kind of, right, the, one of the first things you thought of was not being just another job board. Because it's it's interesting because I think if you unpack each of the elements of the mom project, right, and how deeply it speaks to the future of work, it in, in many senses, it feels like it takes almost the best of job boards, the best of staffing companies, wraps it in a very strong and differentiated sense of community, and it's just empowered and accelerated by technology. I pre- you said that way better than I could. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I just think that like finding a job has historically been a really cumbersome and laborious process. And I come from like a very kind of consumer background, like we should be building delight into that experience. And what better segment to kind of design that for than moms? Like it's a true pleasure to be able to to make that a reality and at the same time be able to help customers hire this really talented pool of, of talent. It, it also puts you in a pretty interesting position to be more proactive rather than reactive, right? So today, the way the market works, you know, companies come to us in this space. They say they have requirements, right? They ask for fulfillment. But I think in the future, and, and this is, you know, this is, I, I don't think offline businesses or kind of traditional staffing businesses can do this as, you know, organizations like the Mom Project can, especially because of the amount of data and such you're collecting. I think in the future with the proprietary network, entrenched understanding of the client's business, I think we'll probably start to see actually shifts towards recommending candidates proactively for organizations before they even ask. One of the one of the things I get really excited about when I think about your business, Allison, is it's it's kind of you know we have the benefit of seeing how marketplaces have evolved for goods, right? Yeah. We're yeah. kind of those early innings for services, and so where my mind goes is actually you know exactly what Amazon does today for goods, right? They use their technology to place goods in distribution hubs all over the country, right? Pre-order, right, to have a more effective supply chain. And this is your next generation kind of talent supply chain, right? So when you when you kind of think of the business, you know, five years out, 10 years out, kind of the large grandstanding vision, 
does that resonate with you or what, what kind of gets you excited when you kind of think of flipping, you know, flipping the funnel from reactive getting requirements to proactive actually suggesting candidates? I love that. I totally agree. And, um, it made sound a bit odd, but like one of my first like six hires was a behavioral scientist, um, because I saw how important match was to this business being able to scale. And you're absolutely right. Like the things that we kind of know intuitively um, that, you know, we have a big customer in JLL. Like we know that like the personality type that succeeds really well in that environment and sort of that role of a traditional like recruiter and what AI can do uh, to be able to proactively predict people that um, are, are very well suited for um, available jobs. I think it's just like a really exciting next frontier in the HR tech space. I think it's, it, I, for so long, we've really emphasized the technical fit and we know that women disproportionately are disadvantaged in that framework. As I'm sure you've seen, uh, Ramin, Amazon had abandoned a two-year project that they did that they had built uh, for recruitment AI because it was so bias, gender biased. Um, so I think, you know, to your point, we're in early innings and I think a lot about how like men, men are still so disproportionately building kind of the, the next generation of technology. Um, and so it's something that I feel so strongly about, like the way that people are getting hired, like we need to be solving for women too. Um, and so thinking beyond sort of these just technical and adding more of the human element, I think is just like such a exciting um, part of our growth story. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is, and, and we had um, we had a candidate actually tell us this recently, who was actually a working mom also, and she was giving feedback to one of the folks on our team that, you know, she felt like the match and the interview went really well because, you know, for the first time in her professional experience, um, and, you know, there was a silver lining here, but a sadness part here, right, is the infrequency of this, is she was kind of asked, you know, how does the schedule work for her? How does the environment work for her? Which is just such critical foundational questions that should be involved in interview processes, right? I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that you bring your whole self to work, yeah. right? And there's every kind of element and aspect for it. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, um, obviously we're going through the midst of a, of a global pandemic, right? And so there are certain elements and aspects um, from a behavior perspective that, that change or accelerate or so. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of elements and pieces, you know, that you guys solve for in your community, right? Things like remote work, flex schedule, you know, equitable leave policies, et cetera. How have your conversations been, you know, with senior leaders in HR um, right now, kind of in the midst of this global pandemic in terms of how they're thinking about their workforces? Are you finding behavior is starting to shift to some of these, you know, elements that we're kind of at the cusp of turning the tide, but... COVID has kind of accelerated? Are you seeing more pause and retreat to more traditional methodologies? How are you kind of seeing some of the elements of your of, of community that you guys have been building in, in just in conversations with HR leaders? Yeah, it's, um, it's so interesting. We have a chart that we, a KPI that we chart, which is the percentage of the jobs on the marketplace that are remote. And, and the curve looks like this, right? So um, 
managers are reacting in real time, but I would say the workplace shifts we, we do believe will be enduring. I think um, a lot of leaders have been kind of kicking this down the road, knowing that like this is the right thing to do, but maybe wasn't treated with the highest priority or urgency. This is forced leaders at the most senior levels to adapt um, to a remote work environment. Um, and so I think kind of we're past that acknowledgement phase and now it's all about the execution. And I would say the number one thing that we're seeing leaders, uh, ask about is how do we keep productivity high while our employees are remote? Um, so they're asking the right question. It's not if it's, it's how, um, I think I'd share with you, Romine, we had actually acquired a company called Work, W-E-R-K, earlier in the year. Uh, that's a people analytics platform that actually helps companies introduce and implement well flexibility policies. Um, so we've been excited to kind of sharpen our, our skill set on, on helping senior leaders um, embrace a flexible work environment. But I think it's here to stay. I really do. Um, there's a lot of benefits financially to a remote workforce. And I think, um, you know, senior leaders just want to see how this, how they're able to keep productivity higher or better. Um, and so um, it, we're in the wake of such a crisis. I, it's uh, with many of us working from home with kids. So it's not a perfect controlled experiment, um, but I'm confident like this is going to do um, mean good things in the future for, for the future of work and, and flexibility. Talk about, talk a little bit more about kind of the acquisition of work, right? You guys have come out with some really interesting stuff around your remote workforce index, et cetera. Talk, talk a little bit more about, you know, the, um, the acquisition itself and then kind of how it integrates into, you know, mom project labs and some of the initiatives that you're pursuing with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like we know where we have the strongest advantage from a marketplace perspective is when there's a lot of flexibility built into these jobs. Um, and so work was a brand that I'd been admiring from afar. They had originally started out as a flexibility focused job board, but had pivoted the business uh, to become a people analytics platform um, that could tell a big company like Microsoft, here are what where your employees are asking for flexibility. Um, here's what you're currently offering. Here's the gap and here's what that ROI will be. Um, so work was a really interesting acquisition for us um, that we made earlier this year to really kind of bring flexibility, subject matter expertise to the forefront of what we do with our, our customers and be able to drive that more scalable behavioral change into the job rack itself. Um, this is something that Greg and I talk a lot about, like how do you change the structure of work? That feels like such a kind of big undertaking. Well, COVID has accelerated that so much, but even like in contingent, Romine, we talk a lot about sort of the, the job description and often remote is just not even a drop down option. Um, so we're excited to be able to offer this to our customers. Pam, who I mentioned is our behavioral, uh, call it our behavioral scientist. She leads this work for us. It's all rooted in behavioral science and predictive analytics and helps companies understand at a very granular level um, what they can do to keep productivity high or make it better while also supporting remote employees. What have you been hearing from the community, kind of the employee side, right? Um, your moms themselves 
um, as to what their needs are, how, you know, how they're adjusting towards COVID. What have you heard from that side of the marketplace? Yeah. I mean, I think the community is scared. Um, Some are personally impacted by the healthcare aspect of COVID. Um, Some are, are either finding themselves unemployed or their hours being pulled back or a partner or a close loved one um, losing their job. So I think that there's just a lot of fear um, for the uncertainty um, and a lot of isolation. Um, You know, I think, um, but under it all, there's a lot of optimism too, um, that things will get better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say fear and just about the future is probably the biggest thing right now that we're sensing from our community. So we're just trying to think how we can be really thoughtful, um, about how we can deliver, um, to them, whether that means, uh, we have a whole community team at the mom project who, um, does this work every day. Um, so we recently launched mentor matching, um, and I've seen such an amazing outpouring from professional executive coaches who are matching with our moms who are now find themselves unemployed pro bono. Um, we launch a unity hour, uh, which we do every Friday where we bring either, um, like a influential HR leader or, um, kind of work life balance expert, et cetera, to just bring the community together for once a week. Um, so we're continuing to kind of think through how we can help our moms at a time where they really, really need us. How have you, Allison, personally thought, and, and it's always interesting, right? Because, and I think this is something we share in common, right? Is kind of the leadership seat when you're running an organization, you always think about yourself last, right? Yeah. And, I, and I think that is the mark of a good leader. And I think that's the role we should play. At the same time, I mean, you have a tremendous responsibility, obviously, to leading your organization, right? Mm-hmm. So how have you personally thought about leading, you know, through this time? Um, I, when I, when I reflect on it, you know, I think there's a couple of segments that I think about a lot these days, which is, you know, A, ensuring the strategy is adjusted for this new reality. Mm-hmm. And the toughest part of that is, uh, you know, especially for kind of planners like us, there, there's a mm-hmm. huge unknown, right? Yeah. Um, doubling and if anything, tripling down on the core business in the most efficient way possible, you know, but most importantly, you know, listening to and servicing our customers, employees in our community. Mm -hmm. How do you think about leadership, you know, during this time? What have you been kind of reflecting on and thinking about during this time? Yeah, I, I would say um, probably the biggest shift has been in communication. Um, we have a monthly all hands, but it became pretty apparent that that wasn't going to be sufficient in the new environment. Um, and there was just a lot of questions in people's mind. And, and so I thought that like hearing from me more and and sort of being a, a voice of stability would be really important as people, um, were now shifting to a totally remote environment, et cetera. Um, so I started doing a daily letter to my team. Um, and that's me just kind of sharing my day a little bit, giving perspective on what's going well, what's not going so well, what I'd love to see the team focus on. Um, and then I've been really intentional about recognition. I think when times are hard, like people need to feel celebrate, we need to celebrate even the smallest of wins. Um, so as part of that daily letter, I call out an individual who I think has really just done an incredible job, um, 
And so that's one thing that we've done, um, the cadence of just general leadership meetings and strategy meetings um, have definitely been increasing by quite a bit. Um, I think it's just really, you know, giving the team confidence and in, in the go forward plan and, and being very realistic about where we are today. I can't make any promises because I don't know what the world will look like six, nine, 12 months from now. Um, but I think this is a time where a company's core values are really stress test. Um, and so that's the question I ask myself every day, like, is this the right thing? Um, and the decision making becomes easier and easier if you just are operating out of, is this the right thing to do? Um, so, and I'm, I'm really lucky. I have such a solid management team. Um, we've simultaneously been working on a fundraise. So, I mean, they've, they've taken on um, such a big share of the load as well. So a huge credit to them. I really like the way you frame that um, because I've had, you know, certainly pre-crisis, but I've had a number of successful founders on the podcast. One of the consistent themes I always hear about is how much um, success and kind of endurance and company building is, is kind of like a Venn diagram of, of luck and happenstance on one side and, and belief and conviction on the other. And I think anybody that's operated a business, you know, with, with humility kind of believes in that, right? Which is a lot of balls have to kind of roll the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to be matched, of course, you know, with the conviction and the capability. I'm curious, you know, and I've been, I've been asking a lot of founders this question, which is there's, there's no question that we're, you know, in, in the midst of one of the worst, if not the worst, you know, global health crises, you know, um, uh, that we've ever faced in history. I, I, I ask, and, and this is probably the optimist in me, but I ask, you know, founders often, what do they hope, you know, to see out of this crisis, right? And, and in many ways, in, in my mind, I think it brings even more to the forefront issues around inequity in women raising venture capital or gender pay equity, right? Working norms equity. Um, and there's really something powerful about that kind of belief and equity piece. It's, it's kind of like the ultimate cheerleader at scale. What do you hope to see kind of out of this crisis? And, and what are some of the things you guys are doing to kind of work towards that future? Yeah, my hope that coming out of this, the workplace shifts to become more human centric. Um, I think historically, like the people that really succeeded in in elevating to the highest levels in their career often um you know like fam like family has been sort of th something that was not really incorporated <laughs> into the discussion a lot or it would be a partner kind of crediting the 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 spouse you know for a, and allowing that success um and so the current environment has just like made people realize that like there's a lot of life outside of work um i was hosting a meeting with my team today and my four-year-old <laughs> crapped up right um and so i hope that stays and that respect for kind of life outside of work and how important that is like i think um for me something that's been really great is like all the time i'm getting with my family right now i i the first quarter i was on the road just about every week so just like being here getting to to see my sons when i wake up every day is like just something that i'm so grateful for and i really hope that um family becomes more of kind of a important factor into the workplace and employers will, will really be able to see that um, how, uh, how a person can really be such a great employee as well as um, an active 
parent. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And, and one of the, you know, one of the fun things, certainly for, for our listeners of folks that might not be aware, um, you had Serena Williams recently join, you know, as, as an advisor to the company. Talk about your, how your relationship has, you know, developed with her, um, you know, how you'll be involving her in the community and, uh, and really kind of how all that panned out. Yeah, I mean, it was a dream. So initialized, um, co-led our Series A. Um, so Alda is our is our deal lead there. Um, she's awesome. She's a mom of three, and Alexis is her partner, um, co-founder of the fund with Gary Tan. Um, and so Alexis was really interested in in what we were building, and clearly a huge advocate for paid family leave, parents in the workplace, etc. And so through Alexis, we were able to get Serena involved. They're married, of course. Um, and it's just been incredible. Um, she is like, honestly, I don't think you could dream up a, a more impressive working mom in every sense of the word. Um, so we're so excited to have kind of her sphere of influence, such an influential woman um, and the global scale that she has to really be able to help us promote the mom project and our core values. And our customers are really excited. Um, <laughs> as you know, Romine, there's not like a ton of really sexy things happening in the HR space. Um, so it's just been a huge win for the team, the business, customers, our moms, and we're just excited to keep growing um, the relationship with Serena and, and she really embodies what we aspire to at the Mom Project. And so as we round out the conversation, Allison, talk about what's next, right? What's next for the Mom Project in 2020? You know, how are you and the team you know, planning to navigate right through the rest of this time, you know, kind of a current yeah. world, a post-COVID world, what's, what's on the horizon? Yeah, um, it's funny. I gifted. Uh, I don't. Have you had Scott Belsky on the? Podcast? Not yet. Not um, yet. He's on my list. <laughs> you should. I think he's awesome. Um, and so I gifted his book, The Messy Middle, as part of our holiday gift. Yeah. And I just didn't know how messy it'd be. I, I didn't know a pandemic because we're like very much in the teenage years, you know. So like right now we. We have good product market fit. Um, it's really a huge focus on, on making the product and user experience better and continuing to expand the reach of our customers and our moms. Um, so right now we're just really focused on execution. Uh, COVID has certainly um, reminded us that we need to be more focused than ever on how we deploy our precious resources um, to make this company as successful as it can be. Um, so yeah, just a lot of a lot of hard work right now, Ramin. Um, you know, Serena was a great um, first chapter of the year. I think the the middle is going to look really messy, and then we'll have to figure out what the last chapter of 2020 looks like. Well, Allison, it was it was awesome having you on the show today. And as as I mentioned, I mean, it, it obviously was was a ton of fun just because of how many of these conversations we've had offline. But one of the things I, I will say and, and kind of broadcast to everyone listening is. You know, one of the things that just really strikes me about you is is your humility as a founder. I've you, I've told you this offline that you you need to brag about yourself more because you are a significantly significantly impressive woman, and the company you're building is is just really really exciting. So it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for making the time, um, and, and really excited for folks to learn Thank more about you. the Mom Project. 
Thank you so much, Ramin. The feeling's very mutual. This has been a lot of fun. I love nerding out with you on these topics <laughs> that we all live. Um, so anytime. It was really my pleasure. Thank you so much.